Podcast Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short, Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. Welcome to this episode. I'm very excited for this episode. My name is Venia, and we have some conversation to have. Before we get into that conversation, though, let's introduce ourselves. Don, do you want to go ahead and start? Hi, I'm Don Marty. I am VP of Ecosystem Innovation at Cafe Media, which is a company that supports independent websites. And before that, I was editor of Linux Journal. Wonderful. And Sean. Hi, I'm Sean Goggins. I'm one of the co-founders of the Chaos Community and a professor of computer science at the University of Missouri. Wonderful. And my name is Venia. I am the founder of sociallyconstructed.online and a very large user of Google Analytics, which is what we're here to talk about today. So before we get started, before we start talking about that juicy, juicy news, let's talk about our experience with Google Analytics over the years. Oh, well, my most interesting experience with Google Analytics was at a NoSQL startup which turns out to include among the user base a lot of people who are fairly opinionated and sophisticated with their use of privacy tools, ad blockers, all that kind of thing. And we found that about 30 to 40% of our users had made themselves completely invisible to Google Analytics, which was definitely a challenge from the point of view of software marketing. Yeah. My first experience with Google Analytics was when I was in getting my PhD and I worked at a software company. We had a website that was a product and we used, this was back in 2008, we used Google Analytics, which I guess was Urchin at the time, to track usage of our websites and see which pages people went to. And that was my first really and only experience in tracking behavior on the web. So as far as I know, Google Analytics is the only way that you do this. I have a somewhat storied history with it. First, it was my enemy because I started out in the LGBTQ community where a lot of people were getting measured online. And as Google started to evolve and develop from 2009 to 2013, launching Google Analytics coming into 2015, there was a lot of problems with that because people were now capable of being outed by companies using Google Analytics, which became very much so a problem. And then I started as a digital marketer and being able to prove and measure that websites were working. It went from being my greatest enemy to my best friend to it was somewhat of an it's complicated relationship. So we're here to talk about Google Analytics. In case you haven't noticed, Chaos Cast is going to sound a little bit different today because there's really big news. Google has now officially announced that they are sunsetting Google Analytics as we know it. There's a new kid on the block, a new Google Analytics for 
For those who are listening in the show notes, there's some articles about that, what that means for marketing, what that's going to mean for privacy and security. But this is a big momentous occasion. So let's go ahead and talk about it. So first, I think Don and Sean, we should probably look at the history. How did we get here? Where did Google Analytics start? And how have we ended up with this new Google Analytics 4 platform? I think Don probably has a lot to say about this. It's I think Don taught me the use of the word engagement and how much <laughs> that, how much money that is worth on the internet. It is worth a tremendous amount of money. And Google Analytics is to a big extent, there's there really isn't a single replacement for it because uh, you can't directly compare the numbers you get out of Google Analytics to the numbers that you see on your website's server logs. So I guess if you want to go back to the prehistory of analytics, people were trying to measure their websites using software that would go through and parse the server logs and make a nice report out of that. And that turned out to be difficult enough that a little company called Urchin Software managed to that name. Uh, yes, Urchin Software managed to do a software as a service analytics project that really solved a lot of the problems that people had with parsing their own logs. So they caught on really quickly. And then Venia, they ended up being acquired by Google. That's yeah. isn't that what happened? 2013, Google Analytics, which at the time was tracking page views. A lot of people were super happy to have a page view tracker on the bottom portion of their website going, oh yeah, this page seems pretty popular, but they had no other information. How they got onto that page, where they went next, Urchin had that. So Google buys it and almost immediately overnight, site tracking for time on page, bounce rates, all of these metrics that Urchin was tracking, including how they got there from social media sites, became ubiquitous. URLs went from being, oh, a couple hundred characters to crazy lengths of URL lengths. Yeah, URLs these days are so long sometimes, especially if I'm sharing it from Facebook, then there's like a little tracker on there that says, and Facebook. There's a browser extension to get rid of those. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, thank you, Don. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to talk about that too, because a lot of people did get concerned as soon as the Facebook pixel, which started as this very innocuous little one pixel image that goes on to page loads. As soon as Facebook decided to try and compete and create better measurement, 2014, 2015, kind of started a little bit of like a retargeting war because they figured out how much Google Analytics could actually do, how much Facebook could do. As got proper creepy, I would say. They were tracking so much and learning so much about users that users got concerned. This is why if I post about Ukraine on my Facebook page, I'll get advertisements for joining armies on Google. Yeah, there was an article as well. I'll toss it in the show notes for anyone listening. There was an article about a reporter who had gotten pregnant and decided that she was going to test the system back in like 2016. And she did anything and everything in her power to protect her anonymity online. She downloaded Tor browser. She was using completely different systems. She didn't allow third-party cookies. 
And she just asked herself, how long would it take for the internet to find out she was pregnant? And went about, I was pretty surprised, I think two to three months before one of her parents got an ad for diapers based off of the internet, figuring out that she, a family member, was pregnant. So mom was searching for stuff related to the baby and they figured out mom wasn't in the demographic to be babying. And so they translated it back to the daughter relationship. Is that how that creeps? Yep. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? So Google Analytics and Facebook kind of start building the system where tracking measurement and behavior is meant to make ads a better experience. And it's meant to be a conversation. But in all actuality, it just launches Facebook businesses getting proper obsessed with metric after metric after metric, right? Yeah. And there have been people whose substance abuse problems have been disclosed by their parents searching for uh, rehab programs. Wow. Oh, that's heavy. Engagement and measuring it means targeting ads. That's where the money comes from, right? And so if I'm going to make money from my website, I need to have ads. And if I want to make the most money, I target ads at very specific groups of people who are more likely to be engaged with those ads and that content, right? Like that's how the game is played. I can pull up some of the nearly real-time reporting on exactly how much certain websites make from ads. And so there's a huge discrepancy in how much the same exact ad on the same exact page served to the same county level area in the USA goes for. You can see the same ad going for an $80 CPM or for a sub $1 CPM. And that's just based on the targeting data that happens to be available at that exact moment. And when we say CPM, that's basically what it would cost to get a thousand ad impressions at that price. So an $80 ad is not an ad that costs $80. It's an ad that costs eight cents. Um, It's just tradition in the ad business to put everything in terms of cost per thousand. So the ad market is a constant auction. And in general, the bidders that are coming in with more data on who's looking at the ad are bidding more to to get their ad into that spot. And as someone who created somewhat of a storied career, like full stack community marketer, I was a part of that system. And I can say like, whenever I was doing my ad buying, I wanted to do it in phases, in steps, because I knew that pulling from my target audience, because it was measured by the thousands and measured by the conversion rate, I had to make sure that the people who saw the first ad were the people who we wanted to kind of pull in, but weren't super interested And then I needed a way to target those people again. And with that, narrow them down to say, oh, on the first go, hey, so here's an introduction to our product. Do you have this problem? And then they would say, yeah. And they'd click on the link and they would raise their hand to me and say, yes, I have a vested interest. And then I needed them to go to a specific web page. And I'm like, okay, now I need a code on here to retarget them for the second ad, which is, 
hey, we have a webinar going on. That's about this problem that you just raised your hand and said you had. So then it would become smaller. And then we would target a third time to say, hey, I hope you really enjoyed the webinar. Would you like to subscribe to our newsletter list in the long term? And then that conversation, we had like nine, 10 ads back in like 2015, 2016, tracking you nine times. No, not anymore. Now it's like an entire conversation that's being had over the period of months, 30, 40 different ads about one product. And that really impacts a user's trust about the ads that they're seeing. What exactly do I, as a marketer, know about them? Yeah, it's funny because when I was doing open source marketing for a NoSQL database, we had a large number of our users were fairly opinionated DevOps type people, cloud computing. As they go. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) The kinds of people who will point out a particular line in the kernel and yell about how much money that costs them on their Amazon bill. Right. Yeah. And so that category of users turns out to be people who have accumulated all kinds of privacy tools and ad blockers and who knows whatever all else over the years that kind of like come up with a system. And so A lot of those people were kind of invisible to conventional analytics. So do those folks then become a prototype of what people have in terms of tools and power under the new Google regime? Yeah. And I think it's important to know dark data, basically this notion that Dark data. Um, I haven't heard data that phrase before. That is there. Users are producing that data, but they are starting to take control of it and they're not giving it to Google anymore. They're not giving it to the companies. So companies know that this dark data they can't see is out there. And recently, the conversation has started to move away from can businesses make a better ad experience if we track people across the net to people have a right to privacy, security, and anonymity. They have a right to be forgotten if they choose to leave a social platform. They have and a right, right they for do. their <laughs> Twitter account to like move into obscurity over time. But they don't have that right in the United States for the most part, right? Well, California has the CCPA and the... California Consumer Privacy Act is almost completely unlike GDPR, even though it starts from some of the same principles. So when they were originally trying to come up with a privacy law for California, they thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had something like the GDPR over here? But then people looked at the U.S. laws and said, well... It might be unconstitutional to do GDPR over here. Oh, it's a big, that's a big no. Yeah. Well, they saw the legal risks and they decided to build it on a completely different platform. So in the case of GDPR, the user has to consent to certain kinds of uses of their personal information. It's a, it's a myth that you have to consent to everything, but on GDPR, it's mostly consent based. On CCPA, it's mostly opt-out based. So by default, in California, they can track you 
unless you make a specific request to say, quote, do not sell my personal information. Do you and have every site you go to? Well, that's the fun part. They realize. That's fun. No, 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 no. They realize that opting out of every company that might possibly have your data is completely unsustainable. And so in CCPA, there's the concept of a global privacy control, which is a browser extension that you install once or a feature that you turn on once in your browser. And then it will just start telling all the sites I choose to opt out. And so that's one of the things that you have to do for handling personal data in California that you don't have to do in Europe, which is check for the global privacy control signal and handle it as a do not sell if you get one. Is that in contemporary browsers today? And does it only apply to people in California? Technically, it only applies to people in California, but you have to be very confident in your California detector script to only apply it to people in California. Not everyone in California trips the California detector and not everyone who trips the California detector is in California. So you have to be on the safe side. California detector. Okay. Wow. Not to mention you're a business, right? So when GDPR happened, that was in 2016, GDPR is like, hey, we're a little bit concerned about this. Implementation for GDPR was 2018. And the big question businesses had, especially in the, here in the United States, was I'm a local Austin, Texas flower shop. Do I need to care about GDPR? And they said, well, no, if it's a European market and the rule only applies in Europe, then if you don't have European customers, you don't have to worry about GDPR. And businesses were like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then they realized that information and data and the technological architecture underlying the internet doesn't follow those rules. It doesn't really have country-based restrictions. So people using VPNs could very well live in Europe and you would never know. So flower shop in Austin, Texas, suddenly needs to care about European protection. And then the CCPA brings GDPR to the States in a completely different, also equally difficult for companies to respond to kind of way. And now we're stuck on this like dichotomy, so to speak, where on one side, Users are going, I want to be protected and I want to have control over that, but I don't want it to be always my responsibility, always my onus. I don't want cookie banner apocalypse to be the future. Cookie banner apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> and so then on the other side, businesses are going, right, but I can't manage can spam, castle, GDPR, CCPA, and all of the 90 other policies that's coming about for the internet and also be able to profitably market my business. So, so now there's just like these two struggles. So is, is the new Google Analytics then the solution to all these challenges or is it just another prong in a dystopian internet nightmare? <laughs> Maybe it's not that binary. Where does, <laughs> where does Google Analytics new platform fit in to this problem space? Because it sounds like we've got the Europeans, and the Californians and just humble, good website producers selling flowers from Austin, Texas. We have to figure this all out. So where does the new Google Analytics or the 
sunsetting of the old Google Analytics fit into this puzzle of engagement tracking for money? Yeah. And for me, from a business perspective, like that's the question, that's the rep. Are we actually in a new paradigm shift or is Google Analytics actually solving any of the problems that have come about? Because we live in a very different world now. Users now have more control over their data, which has given them responsibilities users don't technically really want. And Google Analytics 4 is a completely new from the ground back to the whiteboard kind of rebuild. So for all of our listeners, there is some information in the show notes about what exactly Google Analytics 4 is going to look like for you. But here's a little bit of a lowdown and then we can kind of start to unpack this. Google Analytics 4 is now based upon event tracking similar to Facebook, but it's implemented it in a way that allows it to uh, run on individual servers. It's no longer a third-party cookie kind of world. So the data is now owned by the companies who are collecting it. Similarly, the reinforcement of GDPR, CCPA, other laws, the onus has now been pushed off of the companies who are making data collection possible, Google, Facebook, et cetera, and onto the companies. If a user goes to a singular company and says, please delete my data, the business needs to be able to do that. And Google Analytics 4 was built with that expectation to happen. It's also multivariate. So we no longer just have computers and phones. We're coming into an internet of things kind of environment where data streams comes from a variety of different things. And so we need to be able to collect that data and then justify that data, move that data, pull any personally identifiable information out and then place it into a format that makes sense for a lay business operative and user. While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing. Facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the sustained community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustain OSS on Twitter. So are we anthropomorphizing my refrigerator? If it's connected to the internet, does it now have a right to be forgotten? And there's the question. Like, <laughs> if I am using a smart fridge and I tell it, please give me a grocery list, is Google Analytics going to say that grocery list is off limits or is it going to say, yeah, that seems like a good brand advertising opportunity. Let's collect the data. And from the point of view of CCPA, if that grocery list can be attached to your identity as a human in California, then at some point in the future, you can come back and say, I have the right to know all the information you have on me. And whatever business ends up with a copy of that grocery list has to supply a copy. So there's a big set of responsibilities for companies that handle any personal information, which is to somehow be able to transfer it back to the individual 
in a way that they hadn't had to do before. So all these legacy marketing databases are getting exposed when people come in and say, hey, I'm in California, send me all the info you have on me. And for a company that's been doing a bunch of miscellaneous marketing projects over the years, that's... They They have no idea. Well, it's an exercise in corporate history. It's, oh, we went to this event and we scanned all these badges. Here's your record as an attendee of Fox Pro World or whatever. Wow. I also think when it comes to the environment that Google Analytics 4 is coming into, being able to track all of that data and run that data is now being pushed away from the data brokers, basically the people who make it possible to collect that data, who profile individuals, et cetera. It's now being, the onus is no longer on those companies. It is now on the small business flower shop. And the small business flower shop isn't going to have a server running in their back room that is partitioned to dedicate it specifically for first party measurement on their site. But Google Analytics 4 is expecting it to be. And I kind of feel like the example that we used was a little bit extreme. It's not like your fridges grocery list is on the docket for whether or not this is trackable. Mm -hmm. But what is, is any and every behavior that a user has on a singular server, a small company owns. There's a lot of servers out there. There's a lot of small companies out there. So is the onus on the server to know that I'm in California or if the server's in California, does that affect it as well? Exactly. We don't know. Is the It's about whether the user is in California and it's always tricky to tell exactly where somebody is. And one of the, the funny things that I've noticed is people wrote their Europe detector scripts in 2018 for GDPR and they did their California detector scripts in 2020 for CCPA. And Given the way that web development organizations work, those two tasks were done by different people with slightly different methods. So sometimes I can visit a site and I'm detected as being in California, Europe, planet Earth. Is that VPN functional or just the routing idiosyncrasies of your network connection? It's just JavaScript. Somebody in 2018 wrote some code to see if I look like Europe. Somebody in 2020 wrote some code to see if I look like California. And sometimes they'll both guess yes. (laughs) And that's also the really funny part, because in the coding world, at least in the open source world, we know that JavaScript isn't the end all answer to verifying and tracking and making sure that consumer rights and protections are reinforced. Because for phones, for instance, accelerated mobile pages, some aspects of SEO, they don't allow JavaScript. It's too slow. Accelerated mobile pages. Is that what AMP stands for? Oh yeah. Accelerated pages and SEO Uh, is search engine optimization, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah, Uh, I just want to make sure I understand terms. (laughs) So the question now becomes as the internet evolves, as it travels, as new technology comes about, as new ways of thinking of how do we classify and teach the internet to read itself? Is this tracking system going to continue to poison the well to sour or is it going to become less and less efficient and effective at doing that tracking? Well, I think we put a lot of emphasis on privacy changes, but from the point of view of marketers, some arbitrary policy changes by big platforms have just as big of an impact. So the big platforms will come out and say, 
look what this privacy thing is making us do. It's costing you the small business money. And they'll do a tremendous amount of lobbying and astroturfing around, oh no, look, privacy, it's costing you money. But at the same time, those big platform companies will make arbitrary algorithm changes that will take just as much money out of the small business's pocket, whether it's Amazon tweaking their rankings or putting the Amazon basics product ahead of yours or Facebook tweaking how often brand items show up in feeds or how their ad pricing algorithm works or Google with their double click ad ID being restricted to double click only and taking it away from other companies that were able to see it. Big companies make giant arbitrary decisions that take money out of the small business's pocket every day. And they don't do the kind of publicity around those decisions that they do when they point at a privacy thing and say, oh, look, those privacy nerds are taking your money. So realistically, the small businesses are definitely going to have to adjust to this, but they've got the experience from just dealing with those arbitrary large policy changes by the big companies internally. And how much of this is handled will will be handled by JavaScript frameworks and development tools in a in an almost invisible way for developers down the road? Is that dreaming or is that kind of how this works? There are viable surveillance marketing companies that exist just to help you keep track of which other surveillance companies JavaScript you have on your site. <laughs> um, really I still have privacy badger. Oh, good for you. Oh, good for uh, you. Yeah, I'm a digital marketer. My specialty is in online community management, but like as someone who works in this every day, like I have Ghostery installed on my systems, all of my systems. Like even I, who relies on the system as it is built, am concerned and worried and frustrated with the system. And I have used technological solutions to solve technological nightmares that come from the retargeting wars of 2015, you know? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but the the more I learn about how all this stuff works, the more that I feel like any day that I can get through without buying anything, it feels like I just won a really hard video game. It's really satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) The next question It's a big question, and I think it's probably going to end up closing us out. We've already talked about whether or not Google is actually solving the problem by rebuilding Google Analytics from the ground up. But now the question is like, how much of a nightmare is this transition going to be? Because truth be told, most people, most websites just installed Google Analytics, saw numbers come into their dashboard, weren't really able to read it. Like the average lay business owner isn't really able to read it. And they said, good enough. And then they stopped. Back in 2015, the Google site tag, the original implementation for Google Analytics was supposedly sunset in lieu of a different form of tracking. And still, it's been, what, seven years now, there are still Google site tags on websites. It's very, very slow to perform. And now we're doing it again with Google Analytics 4, which has a much more complicated but streamlined implementation. It's going to be a while. And yet Google is saying that universal Google Analytics will no longer be accepting data into its containers in... 15 months from right now, 15 months, they are sunsetting UGA in exchange for GA4. 
what is the future going to look like here, both in implementation and also privacy concerns? What's it going to look like for the business owner, the end user? And what's it going to look like for Google? Does anyone know the answer or are we guessing? Well, so many small sites will fix stuff when it breaks, but not before. Yeah. So the webmaster or whatever they call a webmaster these days will come in and web marketer will come in and look at their analytics in the morning and the chart will go along like zigzaggy and then it'll fall off a cliff and they'll say, oh no, my analytics broke. And then they'll Google it and they'll put the new JavaScript on the page. So it'll just be a sort of bug fixes. Something will break and somebody will fix it. There's always something broken. (laughs) There is. I think it'll be interesting because for me, at least, I am a little bit more optimistic than I think I've come off as. But I think that we are starting to see a transition. And I'm kind of excited for this of measurements and retarget marketing no longer being about a project or about serving an ad that makes more sense or serving an ad that reduces your CPM, your cost per thousand, as we described earlier. I think it's now becoming measurement as a department and businesses are finally falling in line with this notion of measurement and community interaction on websites actually being a well and true one-on-one conversation where the website platform and by extension, the business associated with it is expected to use that information to have a conversation and ask questions of the user. So it's moving away from user behavior tracking to user intent and opinion and sentiment tracking. Oh, how will it do that? Doesn't it need more of my private information to track my sentiment? Yeah, but the concern is how exactly is it going to track that information? So businesses are now expected to have a very firm control over the data that they are using to retarget, which means they now have individual servers and CRMs are taking on a little bit of that weight and personally identifiable information is no longer permitted or allowed. So what does the business have but to start asking questions? One question surveys that kind of pop up more opportunities for dialogue and interaction between the business and the user. And a lot of that is not going to be trackable by the internet as a whole. It's going to be all placed at the very end where the user value journey and the user interaction happens between them and the business. And Google Analytics 4 is less crunching data and it's more just housing it. It's more just there. And a lot of the the legacy third-party data providers have been getting away with representing their insights about the user as somehow magical. And so you see big data brokers saying, we've got thousands of data points on every individual and millions of people, and we can exactly map the customer journey. And so I see these surveillance marketing company white papers and I say, wow, they've got so much data on me. I want to know my customer journey. And so I fire off a CCPA right to know, which is something that I have a shell alias for now. I fire off a CCPA right to know and do a little bit of back and forth. And then I get back and they've got a wrong guess about my gender. They've got an address that a relative with a similar name used to live at. And then they've got the fact that I'm in the market for eight luxury cars. I've got four kids and I drink Diet Coke. And 
the more that marketers start to use some of those CCPA rights as a reality check on legacy database marketing, the more they'll come back and say, hey, we actually got our California employees to check this service out and it's bogus. So we're going to have to develop our customer relationship data better internally. I think the more it's going to go in that direction. So what are the implications for people who buy and sell these ads by the thousand? And what are the implications for the consumer? I'm at this point, I'm very confused about who gets what out of this deal. Well, again, it's an industry that in the course of the retargeting wars escalated so much that the end user got wise and laws started to get built and legislators didn't necessarily understand the internet architecture that they were governing. So is it now really benefiting? Has now become the most important question. It's honestly a reinvention of the conversation that marketers are expected to have with their target audience. And the laws and the user protections and everything, they really are saying this war was not good for the internet. And the business is being expected to perform more. The user has more onus. The data brokers have been essentially slapped on their hand and forced to evolve. Or I hesitate when you wonder who is getting the better end of this deal, because honestly, we are entering into a brave new world because the situation as it stands isn't advantageous for anyone. And Google Analytics is trying to evolve and change itself to match what it thinks that that new world is going to be with everyone getting their hands locked. Yeah. And today there's no direct substitute for Google Analytics because Google Analytics will exclude some bot traffic that is very difficult to detect from the server logs. So part of the lucrativeness of the ad business is that it attracts a lot of bots and non-human traffic, and those can completely mess up your analytics. And Google Analytics generally does a good job of excluding those, but the fact that they do means that Google Analytics numbers are not directly comparable to any other source of information. So the big question is, as Google Analytics deploys a totally new version, are they going to continue to hold that role as the industry accepted source of human interest in stuff on the web? Yeah. And kind of bringing it back to ground, kind of discussing like what this brave new world of measurement is really going to look like, kind of going back to your point, like a lot of people just don't have any answers. Is this actually going to be good to the user? Are businesses going to be able to cope and make sense with it? Because for me, at least, I feel like this has made my job as a measurement marketer. I'm not a full-on data analyst. I'm not writing Python and SQL scripts. I'm not using R in order to crunch data small businesses are going to be expected to do something like that. Measurement is now going to be a department in its own right, separate from marketing projects or community management projects. And we're seeing kind of the same parallel happening in the community management space, right? We're starting to see how do you measure community health kind of move into more of an ongoing conversation project at full or department that a community manager is expected to lead rather than just a small set it and forget it kind of project that Google Analytics has been for what going on a decade now. Not really too sure how to end that. <laughs> no. Online advertising, it ends with a bang, but or a whimper, not a bang. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds yeah. complicated. 
Yeah, I don't think that advertising is going to change all that much as a large industry. Like everyone thought GDPR would be like this fractional upset of how advertising worked. And it turned out like it was just a lot of scripts needing to be written about geolocation. So I don't think that the industry as a whole is going to be impacted too much. I think that lines are going to go down for a hot minute. We're going to see things trending down into the right. But overall, I'm excited to see where this new era of customer conversation via measurement is going to go with Google Analytics for. And a lot of those discussions are happening in the World Wide Web Consortium right now. There's a new group called the Private Advertising Technology Community Group that is covering how things like attribution tracking or other tasks that are now handled with third-party cookies are going to work in future browsers. So I'll add a link to that community group to the show notes. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take a step back a little bit and talk about our value ads. So if you're new to chaos or if you're a veteran, you are probably excited about this segment. This is where we just talk about what's going on. What is one huge thing that is bringing value and joy or meaning to our life? It doesn't need to be huge, small, big. What is it that has been going on in your neck of the woods? Can I start? Yeah. Yeah, go. All right. I miss the days when I used to be able to go to the bookstore and pick out a nice thick book. I believe Lincoln Stein was one of the best authors. It's called How to Make a Website. And I think the book that I got was called How to Set Up and Maintain a Worldwide Website. And it included everything from Apache server configuration to HTML to how to write CGI scripts in Perl. And so you pick up this book and you go to the bookstore and buy it and you've got what what it takes to make a website. And sadly, these days you can't really do that anymore. There's a whole bunch of different options and subfields and the process of saying, I've got this thing I want to make and I want to make it work on the web has gotten a lot more complicated. So the thing that I I would like to appreciate is a tutorial by Miguel Grinberg called Flask Mega Tutorial. And that is the closest thing to a full stack how to make a website document that I've seen in quite a while. So instead of floundering and picking technology options, now you can say, okay, here's a reasonably good set of approachable web stuff like Flask, Python, a template system. And now I can make a good basic site and have it work and get started on the web. And that makes me happy. That's awesome. I'm really happy that that exists in the world right now. And uh, to our listeners, we're going to have that in the show notes. I'm already looking at them right now. This episode has got a monster list of show notes. So be sure to uh, check that out. In the meantime, my big value add, I have an art degree that I have been ignoring for a decade and a half. And I went to a wine and painting night here locally. It's been around for a long time, for a lot of years, but it's really got that creative person inside of me flowing. So I went and got a sketchbook and I'm already like 26 pages into like this 150 page sketchbook. We'll see if it keeps going. 
But, oh, it is so, so very nice to be placing my nose in one now. That's great. And Sean, what about you? My, my value add today is bicycles. It is warm again and I can get out on my bicycle. And I'm excited to go for a ride later today. Awesome. Exercise. It's really good for you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, leaving your computer, <laughs> leaving your web tracker once in a while can actually turn out good. <laughs> Leave the web tracker. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining for this very large conversation about the future of measurements packed into a little Google sized package. And thanks to you, listener, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, please subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and your colleagues. And if you have ideas for future episode topics, we would even like to come on as a guest. Please email us at podcast at chaos.community. Podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, just remember, this is your chaos community. Have a good day.